Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Blue Oval Podcast. I am Ben Weissel, and joining me, as always, Garrett Zetlin. How's it going, man? Ben, it's been a pretty good week for me. You know, I've got, you know, the next next week I'm taking two days off from work to go to the shore. I got a fresh haircut. My fantasy football team is absolutely killer. I mean, everything's kind of going pretty well for me on my end. I, I can't complain. Hopefully it's just as good for you on your end as well. I, I have been um, nervous about jumping into fantasy football after how our fantasy basketball league ended right. <laughs> just so abruptly. So I, I haven't gotten my hopes up to, to try to do that yet, but I, I'm glad to know that people are actually doing starting to do that now. Yeah, and it was kind of a last minute thing where I totally forgot that we even had the draft. I was coming back from a run and I was like, oh, and then I just jumped right on board. So um, yeah, I mean, that's that's how some of the best fantasy teams are, are ever drafted. But uh, yeah, man, uh, it's been, been good so far. And uh, hopefully there is a season, at least some sports to watch. And then uh, and hopefully I'll be able to, to win my league and, and win the big payout. So, yes, absolutely. And I'm sure our listeners are curious to know, and I am, how, how's the running been going? We haven't talked about this for a while. Oh, man, I've been so busy. I had one, let's, I had one run within the past X amount of weeks, <laughs> like very poorly. Now, granted, it's not one of those things where I'm like, oh, I'm just super busy. I don't have time. I literally don't have time. I work from like eight to five TSR from like five to eight and then mile split from like eight to 11. And by that point, I'm like, hey, I love running. I just don't have the time. So um, me and DoorDash have become best friends. Um, the running and I are kind of on a break and that's kind of where I am at right now. I might go out later this evening and try to get a run in and struggle, but you know, it's, that's just kind of what Sundays are for. Uh, that's, that's fair enough. Fair enough. I, I was, I was curious when you mentioned that if, if you'd been able to have a little bit more time, but I can attest to everybody who are, who are, who are wondering, Garrett is extremely busy. So I have, I have <laughs> no doubt when he, when he says that, um, but what I can can't vouch for is our listeners. I, I don't think they're that busy um, because they're not putting in five star ratings and reviews right now. We did, however, get a spectacular one this past week that got us up to 85 ratings and reviews. Uh, subject line, enjoyed the content. Hello, longtime listener, first time emailer. You all are doing a great job with analysis and diving deeper into what athletes bring to the table. I enjoy listen to I enjoy the listen while I work out, bringing me my running fix during these challenging times. Keep it up. So we uh, definitely appreciate that review that just came in last week. Yeah, uh, the username is Coach Selinsky. <laughs> if that if that is actually Coach Selinsky, sup? Hi, uh, big fan. You know if you're listening, uh, maybe maybe we'll get you on the podcast sometime. Yeah, we'll have we'll have to do that. If not, thank thanks for the the. You know, nice review anyways, but you know, it, it all depends. Context matters. So, but no, yeah, very nice review uh, regardless and uh, super appreciated. We're going to, we're going to keep grinding. We're going to keep grinding and working this off season. We've got our team rankings coming out, Ben, something that we'll dive into today. And uh, yeah, I'm, we've got, we've got a few things in the works. We, we've got some content on the way. Absolutely. And yeah, Coach Zelensky, read if, if it's you, have your people reach out to our people and we'll, we'll <laughs> set something up. Um, but Garrett, you mentioned the team rankings. We just released 
our just missed um, teams on the men's and women's side. And then by the time that this is out, we should have our top, uh, our number 25 and number 24 teams for the men and women's side out. But I, I wanted to talk about the just missed teams first. So Garrett, I, I have, we, I listed out all the teams on our little sheet that we're looking at on the women's side, which one was the hardest to leave out of the top 25 rankings? Okay, so for me, this was pretty easy, and I feel like it was Oregon, and Oregon yeah. was easily the toughest one to leave out because it's just that. It's Oregon. You know, This is a team, historical powerhouse, known for their greatness, known for their history of producing top-tier individuals and teams, um, and you just don't imagine a time where Oregon isn't one of the 25 best teams in the country, but this is a team that well, lost their top low stick in Susan A. Joy last year. And on top of losing their top low stick, they lost Amanda Girich. They lost uh, Isabel Brower. They lost Philippa Bowden. And, you know, there's a few decent talents on that team. Like uh, Alicia Zarbo just ran 1550 uh, to break like the, the U20 French, you know, French 5K record uh, recently this past weekend, which is great and awesome. And she could be a low stick, but Last year's team, I think, finished, what, 26 at the national championships? And they they just aren't getting any better. You know, they just lose too much firepower. They lose too much veteran depth. And they have, like I said, they bring in a few decent names. They, they brought in a couple great recruits. But it's just not enough on paper. And it hurt. You know, I think we were all kind of sitting down and we looked at Oregon and we thought, man, are we really going to leave them off? And uh, unfortunately, we did. But uh you know, in a, in a normal year, maybe they would have proved us wrong, but uh, definitely a, the toughest decision to make uh, with with everything that was going on there. Yeah, I, I agree. They did finish twenty six last year, and they lose like just the center of their lineup two, three, and four from their national uh, appearance last year. And there's not many teams, even if you are a top recruiting powerhouse like Oregon is, that can recover super quickly from losing just the heart of your lineup, especially when uh, the rest of the squad around them didn't exactly set the world on fire. Um, This isn't a top 10 team that's returning. It's like you said, the 26th place uh, team in the country. It is interesting. Like, like we were saying this year might not have been a very good one for them, but with this kind of gap year all of a sudden, it, it'll be interesting to see if that almost benefits them moving into 2021, just the extra time to rebuild and reload. Yeah, I think this is going to benefit a lot of younger teams. And I kind of talk about this a little bit with Miles Split, uh, specifically, spe- excuse me, with uh, specifically with UNC, specifically with like Oklahoma State, with on the women's side, you know, teams that have top tier, you know, veteran individuals who will be able to maintain their eligibility and come back in 2021, you know, with another year of experience under their belt, having some of the younger uh, guys and girls on their respective teams, you know, gain another year of experience and just simply improve. And then they also get the class of 2021 recruits to come in and contribute in some kind of impactful way. And so I think teams like Oregon will certainly benefit from the the blanket waiver eligibility that could happen and just the extra year of of development um of course you could say the same thing really about anyone but for Oregon in particular this is kind of a well if, if any year for this to happen was going to happen it's almost better that it happened for them now yeah i i agree what for on the women's side what who are you most interested in seeing in 2020 out of that group 
I mean, for, and I kind of been saying this all summer long. It's it's been the um, the UCLA Bruins, and they had recently just and we recently just learned Monica Hebner transferring from UCLA to Texas to join her sister Isabel Hebner over there. Um, you know, Monica Hebner was a 10K national qualifier on the track when she was previously with Duke as a freshman, um, and then transitioned over to UCLA. Uh, but you know, I, that loss kind of there, we kind of thought, all right, they were already a fringe team losing someone who we thought could have been a potential low stick, or at least, you know, some kind of top score for the team wasn't super ideal in our mind. So we ultimately brought them to the just miss portion. Um, but you know, Christina Rice was a, an all American last year. Great name. Erica Adler redshirted last year, or at least didn't compete uh, for most of last year. She was expected to come back in 2020, um, had great eligibility. She was an uh, individual national qualifier across country. Um, you know, they, they brought in a few others like uh, Carly Doroskadar. I, I don't, sorry, I'm going to butcher that name. Carly Doroskadar. Ah, wow, that was bad. Anyways, but yeah, she's a talented young freshman. And you kind of look at the top portion of this lineup and think, man, this is a this can be a really good group if they're able to piece it all together and stay consistent and and do everything on the right day. But there was not enough certainty there. And there was a little bit of questions that we had on the back end of that lineup as well, uh, which ultimately left with, with left us putting them at the just missed portion. But personally, I was excited to, to see and, and hopefully watch a team like UCLA this fall. I thought they could have been a, a pretty strong group. Yeah, those are a lot of good points. The team for me was Alabama. I, I was really yeah. curious to see. Um, obviously, they had the dynamic duo of Mercy Chenlagat and Esther Gittahai, um, who, who really would have been, um, as you wrote, would have probably been one of the best one-two punches in the country. Um, and I was really curious to see if they could translate some of the track success that they've had um, onto the cross country course because they they weren't as dominant necessarily as you would expect last year on on the grass. Um, and I was really curious to also see how the rest of their lineup uh, would develop. We definitely saw that on the men's side for the Crimson side, where you have two or three studs up front, but then you kind of are waiting to see what you can expect from that three, four, five, six range. And and I think for Alabama women, I, I was really curious to see how they would develop over 2020, if they could uh, find maybe some diamonds in the rough, if a few ladies, um, like we like you listed, they, they have a lot of good options, but um, none that ha- were necessarily super proven uh, on the cross-country course. So I was very curious to see what they could do. And I really, I mean, who knows what we'll see in 2021 from all of them. Um, but 2020 certainly could have been a year when they qualified for nationals and really showed us something if they could have figured out that back end of the lineup. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, a team that, you know, Allison Wilson was a nice middle lineup scorer there, very capable, strong, strong talent. But really kind of after that, you don't really have any certainty. You have youth and experience. You have just a bunch of question marks, just a matter of how good are some of these women? Would they have been good enough to get to the national meet in a year where, you know, there isn't a pandemic? Um, And, you know, we'll hopefully get to still see them compete this fall um, and hopefully, you know, in some capacity, whether that's that tri-conference championship or whatever it may be, um, we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, really interesting team just because there's so many question marks, arguably more question marks than than any other team in the country. Absolutely. On the men's side, we also had a, a solid list of just missed teams. Um, who was the hardest team to leave out of the top 25 on the men's side? <laughs> 
I didn't really have one particular team where I was like, oh gosh, I so desperately wanted to rank them. Um, but I think when I take a look at, you know, I think Boise State is up there, Southern Utah, Southern Utah, another team where, you know, they bring back Aiden Reed, but we don't know if he's healthy. Christian Ricketts showed moments of being a low stick last year, but didn't wasn't great in the postseason. They lose Josh Collins. They lose Sean Newcomb. They lose Jason Quinn. And overall, you're just you're looking through this and you're like, eh, I just don't know. I don't think this is quite the team that we were looking for um, to maybe be a top 25. I think they have talent. I think they're pretty good. I like Nate Osterstock as that number three option, but there's still just too many questions um, at the back end there. And then Boise State, um, you know, they, they've got a nice recruit coming in, um, but they lose Elijah Armstrong. They lose Holler. They bring back Ahmed Muhammad. They bring back Logan Reese. But there's, you know, there's just not enough certainty with the back end or the second half of that lineup. You don't know who's going to step up. You don't know what that lineup's going to look like. You just kind of need more scoring out of that group. And uh, and I think that was kind of tough and the biggest reasons why we left them off. But um, Southern Utah and Boise State were kind of the two teams I'm thinking. Yeah, I would have liked to maybe kind of squeeze them in there. Um, but yeah, the tough, tough look. Yeah, I, I remember we were talking last week after the podcast um, about how the, the back end of our men's rankings in particular, we were having a harder time kind of figuring out that maybe that last like few spots uh, in the 20s and then the last few spots and then just missed because we just we didn't have a whole lot of uh, experienced runners to go off of. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that any of these teams are any less talented than any other year, but we, we were just struggling to find guys who had that proven track record um, that would normally go along with a top 25 team. And so I, I think your answer perfectly reflects that we, I, I think Southern Utah and Boise state were definitely the two that we looked at the hardest. I, I liked Boise state a little bit more just with uh, a little bit more, I think, proven as of late talent with uh muhammad right. and uh logan reese but again it, it just we didn't have it didn't feel like we had a ton of teams in that range where we felt good about even their one through four one through three we we would have teams where it's like okay we we feel good about maybe their top two but after that we just didn't we we didn't know what to expect not necessarily because they're bad runners but we just haven't seen them compete at the ncaa level and that's a, a really great point because as as we've been going through and as we've been writing these, you know, the common theme that I pick up is potential, youth, inexperience. You know, that is kind of where you're looking at that with a lot of these teams and, and trying to, you know, as us as writers, I think we're trying to build a little more diverse narratives in terms of how we present these teams and talk about these teams. But it is difficult when, you know, really last year and especially with certain parts of the rankings you know, so many teams on both the men's and women's side lost so many top veteran talents. And, uh, and you just don't know, you know, what's, what's going to happen there with, you know, how athletes are going to improve. So it is difficult from that standpoint. Uh, you do begin to realize just how senior heavy last year was, not just at the top portion when it comes to individuals, but more, you know, throughout the entire, throughout the entirety of a team and throughout the entirety of a conference and program, et cetera. Uh, it is difficult to gauge. Yeah. And, and before we move on, is there a team out of this group that you're most interested in seeing? Who I, I want you to tell me who you think I'm going to say for this. Uh, I'm going to say Charlotte. 
And you would be right. You know me yeah, so well. We <laughs> you know me so well. I like Charlotte a lot. So back in 2018, were you were you with TSR in 2018? No, but that that Charlotte article was actually one of the first ones I had ever seen from TSR. Go. And I was like, they know their stuff. I, I like what they're doing. So awesome. Good and, history with and, them. Perfect. And they being me, but we always yes. like early back in the early days when it was like Sean, or I'm sorry, not Sean, it was John, Michael. Michael, and I. We always just said, you know, our team when reality it was like <laughs> it was just one or two people working on an article. Now we actually have, as Mara just sends me in uh, one of our articles there, um, and now we actually have like 16 people deep. It's ridiculous. But um, yeah, Charlotte, I like Charlotte a lot. Super, super young team. Uh, they lost two key veterans, Alex Cornwell and Zach, uh, Zach Marchinko. Uh, but uh, Marchinko, yeah, I had to say that right. Um, but that really wasn't a huge bothersome thing for me. I mean, they they brought back three guys who were freshmen last year along with a sophomore. Um, I thought they just had some great showings at their regional meets, uh, saw some you know great performances at the Conference USA meet. They had a pretty decent performance at uh, pre-nationals, if I'm remembering correctly. Hopefully, I'm remembering that correctly. But I just thought there was a lot of potential. You know, Again, another young, inexperienced team that still has a lot of upside. I thought Paul Arandado could potentially be a nice front runner for them this season. And, you know, cross country actually isn't suspended for the uh, Conference USA yet. So it, it could happen, um, at least for them competing. So we'll, we'll see. But yeah, I like Charlotte a lot. 2018, we ranked them at number 20, um, but they had some injuries. They had a few guys that weren't quite at, you know, top tier. They just had a few off days and ultimately that didn't work out. But this year they, they had a pretty decent team and and you could have been you could have convinced me to maybe give them the number 25 spot. Yeah, yeah. We we didn't really talk too much about them, but you bring up a lot of good points. I for me I, I was curious to see um what Wake Forest and Duke were gonna do this year. I, I yep. like them as two teams that have been kind of slowly building they they haven't made any huge jumps over the last few years but they've had incremental progress really like in the last two or three years to put themselves in the national picture at least in it being close to qualifying um and i think they would have been one that ones that could have maybe broken through in a big way in 2020 um who knows if they would have but i i think hopefully we'll obviously get to see the acc compete uh throughout the year and maybe that'll give us a good indication of what we'll see from them in 2021 but i think both of those teams along with charlotte uh, all those southeast teams really um are very interesting to watch in that region as we move forward absolutely yeah um we'll, we'll see what happens but the southeast very deep just not very top heavy this year i think right. i think it's probably a fair assessment um just a lot of, especially on the men's side specifically, um, just a lot of depth there. You could see a lot of changes, um, but who, who kind of knows? It's, it's just one of those regions where it's kind of a, you know, just kind of a free for all and you're not, don't really have as much certainty as I think we would like. Absolutely. Well, why don't we move on to some of the teams that we had the hardest time ranking? Um, we, we talked about the men a little bit last week, you and I, um, and you and our women's team talked uh, as well. And so I kind of wanted to bring up maybe some of those conversations on air so our, our listeners could hear what we were thinking of when we were uh, looking to rank some of these teams. 
So the first one, and you and I had went back and forth on this one Heated several debate. times. Heated. Yes, maybe the maybe the strongest disagreement we've ever had when it comes. I to would rankings, agree. Yeah, um, was the Washington men, and I, being an optimistic person and a big fan of Andy Powell and the Washington men, thought that they deserved a solid ranking, a little higher than maybe what Garrett thought. Garrett, being the hater that he is, just <laughs> wanted to drop them way further than I ever thought they that they should fall. Um, and you, we'll see in the coming week where they land, or week week or two where they where they end up. But this is a team that brought a ton of talent and expectation into 2019. Did not live up to that, but I think there's a a very strong possibility that 2020 would have put them back closer to where they were in in 2018 than they were in 2019. The talent on paper isn't quite there, but I think the development, having guys be in the program with Andy Powell for this their third year now, I think we would have seen a lot more progress uh, than the, maybe just the hiccup that they had in 2019. But that was not just a hiccup. That was a... <laughs> dramatic fall from grace. I mean, they were the third ranked team coming in, right? To Bebo Proctor wasn't at hundred percent. Talon Hall wasn't at hundred percent. Now they come into a 20, let's say, you know, we're acting as if there is a season. They come into a 2020 cross country season without Andrew Jordan, their best runner, um, without Jack Rowe now. And we don't know the, you know, how good or, you know, if, if Proctor or Hall are going to return to their 2018 selves or are going to be more like 2019, we don't know anything about that. The rest of their lineup is young and inexperienced and doesn't have really any collegiate race experience with the possible exception of like Luke Hauser, right? Um, and not all of them are really, you know, super long distance oriented. Some of them are more middle distance based. I, I just like look at that team and I'm thinking even if Proctor and Hull reach the level that they were at in 2018, What's the rest of this lineup going to look like? It, there's just nothing that suggests on paper that this team was going to be better. Maybe they would be as good, but better than they were last year. And when you kind of look at our rankings, and it's it's you know kind of so what happens is what we do is we got all of the uh, writers for our D1 men's group, and we said, hey, give us your rankings, and we'll try to you know sort them and put them in kind of a a middle ground for each team. And if you look at where Washington is Ben and all the other picks of where Brian and Michael and Connor put them in, um you'll see that they kind of falter close to around where we ultimately rank them. And truthfully, I had a bargain for this ranking. Yeah, I had we to did. we had we had a bargain <laughs> and there there had to be some, you know, lawyer speak going around. It it was there was yelling. There was yelling about this. Um, yes. So it was it was tough, but um, I am personally happy where they ended up. That's not to say it was a bad ranking. It's, it's still a very good ranking, but um, yeah. I'm I'm satisfied where they landed. I personally would have liked to put them back more, but I, I think it's fine. All right. So I'll, I'll combat that with a few things. So yes, they have a lot of youth and inexperience, but I think a lot of that, also maybe underestimates the amount of options they have. Um, there's three upperclassmen that I'm looking at that could go along with Proctor and Hull, and that's Gavin Papart. I, I think that's how you say it. He was Papart, 120, yeah, Papart, like he was 100, he was 122nd in 2018. 
at NCAAs. You had Alex Slenning, who was 104th last year at NCAAs. Uh, you have Isaac Green, 117th at NCAAs. Um, and you have these those three guys who are upperclassmen who can go along with, if you have a fully healthy Hole and Proctor, they have five guys who have pretty good experience at NCAAs. Not great by any means. I mean, around the 100 range, but that's fine if they're your five, six, seven guys. You can build a pretty uh, close to a top 10 team if you have those guys surrounding a normal hole and proctor that we can hope will be more like their 2018 selves than their 2018 selves, which I understand is is a big assumption. Um, but then you throw in all their youth. And you got Sam Tanner, you got Sam Affolder, you got Leo Dashbot, you got Cruz Culpepper, Luke Hauser, you mentioned who ran 758 and four flat. These guys are just, I, I think you have five guys and you can hope that at least two of them would have exploded in a big way. Uh, Tanner and Hauser and Affolder have all been in the program for a year. Um, Tanner ran a little bit in cross country, didn't perform super well, but ran 339 in the 1500 during indoors. Um, and I, I think Affolder has obviously that pedigree from high school. Um, Dashbach just ran sub four, Culpepper ran four flat. Uh, these are super talented guys that I think going into 2020, if we had the normal season, I think we would have expected at least two of those guys to really be big contributors, top five scorers for Washington. And when you add that to their upperclassmen, I, I think you have a team that, not only had a, a hopefully a level of consistency, but also a huge upside if their younger guys came through in a big way. And I agree. And I think a, a lot of that is upside and potential, but it also brings with it the uncertainty factor and the I don't trust freshmen on championship yes. stages <laughs> factor. And the those guys like Cole Pepper and Dashbach, although I do believe Dashbach is actually I would I could even make make make, make the argument that he was one of the few guys who could potentially have challenged uh, Nico Young yes. at NXN last year. I, I personally believe that. But I I just am not as convinced on you about the younger guys. I like Hauser a lot. I like Hauser a lot, but you just like the the Proctor and, and Hull thing is tough. You don't know what they're gonna look like. It's it, there's just no certainty there. And I like it, it, when we when we go deeper into the rankings and get to the higher numbers, I think you need certainty. And you can say this team can be really good or this team can be this and can be that. But if there's nothing to back it up or there's nothing recent to back it up, then I've struggled to place them in their appropriate spot or where we think should be. Um, I, I will give you this. I, I would maybe bump them up a few spots now, now after we kind of had that discussion. But truthfully, I take a look at a few of these teams and I'm like, I don't know who I would put put ahead of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they're, they're behind some really good teams. And, and I think um, where we ultimately ended with them, I think is a uh, conservative guess, just because we could have, I think they're a very variable team as we're describing. They could have, they could definitely have fallen closer, like five spots ahead or five spots behind. And I don't think that would have shocked us if 2020 went ahead and that's kind of somewhere where they landed. Exactly. So we will, we will see. I don't know. I'm not convinced, but um, I, I do think you made a good argument for the Washington men. I'll leave it at that. 
Um, and let's 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 go on to the next team because I could we we don't want any more yelling over the podcast. Yes, so. we we could talk about this for the rest of the podcast. Um, so how about on the women's side? Um, was there one team that you wanted to mention that that was particularly difficult for you guys uh, to rank? Yeah, so the the women's side. I mean, there's a lot of teams. I mean, one team that we really struggled with was Michigan. Um, and Michigan, you know, a great team last year, a, a really good team. You know, I think we had them ranked around 13th last year in our rankings. I think that's where they finished. A good team. Erica Vanderlyn was a, a really great standout freshman for them. They had a few veterans, but, you know, they they lose a few, you know, veterans this year. They bring in Caitlin Hart, which is great. Um, and Forsyth didn't run last year. Jacqueline, um, oh gosh, I don't want to say gone. I think that's uh, Notre Dame that I'm thinking of. But, uh, you know, another individual who I'm completely forgetting about and don't have off the top of my head. Um, but there's a lot of really strong talents where you think about – I'm sorry, it was Camille Davray. That's who I'm thinking yes. about, Camille Davray. Camille Davray and Forsyth, we didn't really see them last year. Or if we did, they weren't really at the top of their game. And you kind of wonder, you know, what was going on there. Um, on paper – Probably a team with the highest potential. You know, you could have told me, hey, these four individuals between Davre, Hart, Forsyth, and Vanderland, if they're all at 100%, could be all Americans. And I'd be like, yeah, that doesn't seem like a complete stretch if they're all at 100% and all have their best days. But you don't know what the case with that with them is, right? You don't know how Hart's going to compete at the collegiate level. And of course, it doesn't matter in 2020 because there is no competition for big 10 teams, but you don't know how hard it's going to compete at the next level. You don't know, um, you know, whether Forsyth is going to come back at full strength or Davre is going to come back at full strength. You just don't know. And it's just kind of one of those tough things. So we had to try to balance that in the rankings and, and that went back and forth for a little bit. We kind of had them starting off, you know, high, dropped them a little lower, brought them back up. It was, it was difficult. Yeah. The, the Davre and Forsyth, duo is the one that I think makes Michigan super interesting because if they're back in the form that they were from two years ago, then a lot like we were just saying about Washington, then they're a completely different team. And with Vanderland leading the way, uh, you add those two to the mix. And if they're close to where they were two years ago, and then you throw in, like you said, Caitlin Hart, who could be a, one of those top underclassmen who just steps right in and performs really well, uh, you're, you're suddenly looking at a team that has firepower almost one through five um, at, and almost not necessarily all American contenders, but I mean, not that far off. Um, so I, I agree. I, I was looking at Michigan and where we ended up with them. And I was just like, hmm, I, I felt like they could have gone up a few spots, but at the same time, you just there's so many variables with them that you can't with any certainty say that they definitely need to be in one spot over another. Exactly. And and that's and again, it comes back to the major theme of this podcast, youth and experience. And you just don't know these youngsters make it difficult. Um, yeah, so it, it's tough. And uh, trying to figure that all out is one thing that we have been struggling with quite a bit. Um, you know, it's it makes it a lot more interesting. It makes speculation a lot more fun. But when you actually have to give a concrete answer to ranking some of these teams like Michigan, it is 
not fun. <laughs> it is just really hard. Um, so you figure it out, you, you work with it as you go, but, but yeah, Michigan was definitely one of the tougher teams that, uh, we tried to rank. So I'll switch it up a little bit and we can talk about the Ole Miss men. And I think the conversation that we were having about them wasn't necessarily youth, uh, upside or inexperience. It's about how, how do we value regular season versus uh, national, like, championship performances and with Ole Miss we over the last two or three years we've seen some really really good regular season performances they've uh, they were very competitive at Joe Piani last year they ran pretty well at pre-nationals but have struggled at nationals um, to really live up to probably where the rankings that we gave them the rankings that other places have given them and so as we move forward and and looked at 2020 I think we expected they, they bring back a lot of talent. They lose Farah Abdul Kareem, but they, they bring back Walid Suleiman, Cade Bethman, uh, a lot of really strong names who have proven themselves, uh, at least during the regular season. But for me, I was just scared about getting burned again and having a lot of confidence in them because of what they've done right in the regular season, but then them not capitalizing them, capitalizing on that momentum at nationals. Yeah, and I I totally understand that. And this was one that I kind of debated with you a little bit. It was one of the bargaining chips that we had to use when talking about <laughs> when talking about Washington. Um, but yeah, I, I I understand because Ole Miss is that prototypical team where they are track built. They are built for performances on the track, specifically the eight hundred and mile. And that was a piece of analysis that we you know presented and thought about and, and talked about in our Joe Piani preview from last fall. And we said, hey, look, this is a flat, easy, super fast course. This is probably going to benefit speedsters like Ole Miss. And sure enough, they were outstanding, third place. Then they went to pre-nationals, a little less impressive. And then, of course, the national championships, I think they finished uh, 21st overall was the, yeah, 22nd, excuse me. Um, now, Farah Abdul-Kareem did not finish that race, or at the very least, he didn't start. He's listed as a DNS um, I, I, who knows whether or not that was a DNS or DNF, but, um, so I, I can understand that overall though, I think I take a look at that, you know, Joe Piani result and think, well, that is like that, that talent doesn't just go away. And I agree with you that the national meet performances need to be better, but I would have also thought that Stillwater this year, if there had been a national meet, I would have thought Ole Miss would have done a little bit better there down south in the heat, maybe rolling hills, but maybe nothing quite as as uh, you know holistically challenging as what Terre Haute is. Um, so who knows? But I agree with you. It's a tough team because they they are good, but they lose a score. But they bring back a lot of guys. But they're track oriented. But they still have upside. But they don't always produce on a consistent basis. So it's this tough back and forth of, of trying to figure out where to rank them. I'm happy with where we rank them. I, I like them a lot. Um, I can see why maybe you would have liked to bump them back and maybe we can discuss this before it's all published. Who knows? But um, yeah, I, I get what you're coming from though. I have, I have a little more understanding with this one than I do with, with Washington. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of, I've seen Ole Miss race plenty of times being in the same region as them. Um, and I'm a big fan of what they do and they've, they've been super impressive whenever I've seen them. Um, so 
a lot of it is just I've had really high expectations for them, I think, over the last few years. And it's been frustrating to see them maybe not perform quite as well at nationals. Um, so I'm, I'm protecting my heart a little bit here by, by <laughs> not uh, by making sure that I don't get my expectations too high uh, going into our hypothetical 2020. Um, so how about one more women's team? Yep. Um, I'm thinking we're going to go probably talk about Minnesota on this one because this seems like this seems like an easy one. I mean, a team that we weren't really expecting to do a whole lot last fall, um, a team that was redshirting the Haas twins, Bethany and Megan Haas, um, two superstar front runners, outstanding low sticks, but they were redshirted and, and very smartly because that entire lineup, the entire top seven from their 2019 team, which doesn't include the Haas twins, was expected to come back in 2020. And when you add the Haas twins back in, they're all of a sudden this really strong team. And in fact, last year's team without the Haas twins qualified for the national championship, something that we absolutely did not expect. That was you know, just an incredible display of depth. Now they did finish 28th at the national meet, but the fact that they even made it there to begin with, you know, especially out of a conference in a region as deep as the Big Ten in the Great Lakes was wildly impressive, wildly, wildly impressive. And I think we were really impressed by that. And we thought, wow, you know, how much better are they going to be now that they have two, not just one, but two top 20 runners in the country, or at least what we think can be top 20 runners. Um, and obviously we won't get to figure that out this year, Big Ten, no competition, but um, a team that we thought they have these two front runners from a national qualifying team, but a national qualifying team that was really towards the back end of the results. How much better does this make them? You know, at, at what point do you get in the rankings and you think, eh, that's maybe a little too much? Um, because it is tough. It's not like they're losing one or two runners from last year and being replaced by the Haas twins. They are returning every single runner. So they're they're definitely going to get a great ranking, but it is difficult to also gauge that and think, well, just how much better do the Haas twins make them? How much better does returning everyone make them? And it's it's not an easy answer that we don't have. Right, because, I mean, you look at their 28th place performance, you add in two top 20 runners, as you mentioned, and, and suddenly they go from 28, and it, I'm just doing this rough math on the fly. Um, I mean, they really drop almost 300 points, and, and that gets you into that close to top 12, top 13 range from last year. Um, and so it's hard, how like, that step from good to great which is like close to podium contender i think is maybe the hardest leap to make in the ncaa because it requires not only uh depth and and a quality low stick or two but a a bunch of consistent performers who can show up on that day and not be afraid of that championship meet um and i think um what we saw from minnesota was maybe a lot of that inexperience uh last year but I think that hopefully in, in what a hypothetical 2020 would have given them um, a lot of experience to look back on and to be able to take with them to uh, Stillwater this coming year. And I think that really would have benefited them. And I, I think that's honestly where you have to bank on Minnesota more, uh, that their internal improvement from the ladies who ran last year um, is going to happen in 2020 more than just the Haas twins coming in and, and changing the lineup completely. Absolutely. You could not have been more right. It's it's really because we, we knew that the Haswins were still waiting in the depths of the roster, but it's 
really the fact that they bring back everyone is the really the big kicker because you look at some of the teams ahead of them. You look at you know some of the top ten teams. You know, let's say from last year's national meet, Arkansas loses a ton. They also bring in a ton of new names, but that's a separate conversation. BYU loses a ton. Um, Michigan State loses a few decent scores. Kind of a debatable story there. Wisconsin loses a little bit. Furman loses a ton. Um, Washington loses one or two key pieces. So it, it is difficult to kind of look at some of these teams and think, man, you know, they lose a lot. Minnesota gets not only two great weapons back, but returns everyone else. They make improvements. Anastasia Korzanowski is your third runner. Seems like a pretty good scenario there. Um, yeah, it, it is a really difficult challenge when it comes to rankings. Yeah. So when you're think about this podcast, when you want to criticize us about any rankings, we are more (laughs) than happy to hear any of your thoughts on where a team should have been higher or lower. But we have definitely thought about this. I think on the men and women's side, we've done a great job this year of trying to think through this um, hypothetical season to be able to look at what we could have predicted. Um, and, and there's there's certainly so many unknowns. We're talking about college kids here um, who are notoriously unpredictable in everything. Um, so cool. I, I think it's it's not surprising that we're having a hard time maybe pinning down all of these teams. But uh, yeah, I, I commend you and the, the women's team. And I, I'm proud of the work that we've done on the men's side to to figure out these rankings. And I, I look forward to everybody being able to see these in the coming weeks. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And I'll tell you, you know, we were just talking beforehand, you know, the, the team rankings are so much more fun and so much easier in our minds, at least when it comes to create creating these, you know, like they are very time intensive, but I have no problem sitting down for hours on, on end doing these. Uh, they're a lot of fun, especially, if you, you know, if you get the team that you want to write about. So um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. We already have Furman uh, out on the men's side and California Baptist out on the women's side at 25 and then 24, which uh, we're recording this on a Sunday. We'll be uh, releasing this on uh, Sunday night. It's Virginia at number 24 for the men and, oh gosh, oh, Syracuse. Syracuse. At number 20, yeah. yeah, Syracuse number 24 for the women. So uh, I don't know. I, I just enjoy these rankings a lot. I think they're a lot of fun. Um, let us know uh, how, you know, how you like it. As long as it's a positive review, that's all we want. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, that's all I got out on my end. Uh, it's been a ton of fun, and I can't wait for the rest of these rankings. D1, I'm sorry, D2 and D3 rankings are kind of in the works. D2 rankings are fi- being finalized and written and kind of last some last-minute things there. D3 rankings, um, just pretty much no D3 teams competing this year. I think there's like two conferences maybe. So D3 rankings, we might delay a little bit just because there won't be any competition. But um, yeah, just, just a heads up there. But that stuff is on the way. Well, yeah, and I'm certainly eager to see what the D2 and D3 teams put forth because, I mean, like you said, that's going to be how we figure out what would have happened this year because we're not, unfortunately, we're not going to see see many races from a lot of those teams. Right. Um, but yeah, like you said, hopefully we will see some D1 teams race this year if they can do so so safely. Um, but until then, feast your eyes on these, these beautiful, beautiful rankings that we have uh, <laughs> during this outrageously weird year of 2020 that that is an understatement (laughs) well garrett until next week i'll talk to you man i'll talk to you